It's time for Sports Wrap on 760 WJR. All right, this is the wrap on 760 WJR. To a car phone we go. Dave, thanks for hanging on. You're on 760. Gentlemen, and Steve and Dan, you got the chemistry. It's cooking. Presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Are you calling us from your office? I'm doing Sports Center tonight. With, Are you uh, really? Dan Patrick. Well, yes. I'm very impressed. By the way, give Dan our best. He's a good man. And, I will. Uh, hey, uh, hey, Dan. Chuck Swirsky says hi. This is the best sports rap has ever been, my opinion. Now, here's your host, Chris Renwick. All right, the first week of OTAs are in the books in Allen Park. Lions opened things up uh, this week. First look at Panay Sewell, really, because he had COVID, wasn't available for rookie minicamp. Uh, and there was a, an excellent turnout, by all accounts. Of, of players who were in attendance there. Uh, and it uh, sounds like about 80 players were there. A couple important no-shows, Michael Brockers, Jamie Collins, Tyrell Crosby. You know, Crosby, certainly a guy that I don't know that he's going to be there for involuntary workouts because they essentially drafted his uh, replacement uh, and, and maybe even making him expendable. Certainly, uh, Michael Brockers, Jamie Collins, those are guys that uh, are, will be just fine. By all accounts, they've been in constant contact with the coaching staff, so I don't think there's much to be to be too concerned with there. Uh, Nick Roddy and, and Ken Brown with us uh, to start the show. Uh, Ken does that uh, podcast with Michael Hare, the K&M podcast, there you go. also uh, on uh, Mitch Al- the Mitch Album Show here on WJR. What's up, fellas? Gentlemen, gentlemen, how are we? Hey, Chris. Ken? Um, so, uh, a couple of interesting things here, uh, at least by some of these accounts that we're, we're getting from the first week of OTAs. And I think we probably need to start with, with, uh, with golf and just the way, um, that this team kind of envisions the, this position developing, not only this year, but into the future. Um, so it sounds like Jared Goff was, they, they ran two different fields of seven on sevens. Jared Goff was on the field while Tim Boyle and David Blau were on the other field, um, which isn't a surprise, but, but there were, there were a lot of talk about, about Goff's accuracy, about his, his ability to throw the football. And he's apparently by all accounts looked very good doing it. It's not really much of a surprise. Yeah. Our expectations though, let's, let's, let's face the fact expectations for golf are not what expectations for Stafford ever were. You know what I'm saying? If you get the same production that Stafford gave you last year, or just average out their career, people will be okay with it with golf for some reason, but they wouldn't have been okay with it with Stafford. So what level of, do you expect him to play at? That's the thing, what fans, what are they expecting? Because when you get two first-round picks and a guy to go away, you're not, they don't have any expectations for him. If he overperforms, it's great. But do you think people think he's the next quarterback for the next 10 years? Well, I think, I mean, to – Look at your wide receiving core. If he performs to what Matthew Stafford did, I think it would be an incredible season for Jared Goff with the receivers he has right now. I know you have TJ Hawkinson at tight end and DeAndre Swift. Jamal Williams should play a big role in the offense. But there's no Calvin Johnson or Golden Tate or Nate Burleson or Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay. So if Jared Goff has a Stafford season, that's incredible. Yeah, but I'm saying, but will fans respect it though? Because I just sure. feel that they don't, they don't, they think he's oh, a placeholder. That would be that. That's the way to win this fan base over if he has a season like that with with the with the weapons he has on the outside. But look, this offensive line is no joke. They're really good. They're really big. 
Uh, and then you've got a guy like DeAndre Swift coming out of the backfield with you had somebody like Jamal Williams. The, the, this could be a, a at least the the really beginning of a foundation, a really solid foundation for this offense moving forward. Defensively, we're still not really sure what we're going to see. We're missing some guys, like I mentioned, Michael Brockers, Jamie Collins. Um, Can't but, be any but, worse. Can't be any worse. <laughs> if they threw out yeah, me, great. you, and, and Chris Renwick and and um, anybody else, Michael Hare, we put all, it couldn't be any worse than last year. So anything is an upgrade from last year. So speaking of upgrades, uh, Jelani Tavai has reportedly lost 17 pounds. Is he salvageable? I mean, he was a second-round pick who – before this weight loss, you thought might might make the team. It, are they onto something with Jelani Tavai? You think? Are you asking can he be a functional player? Or can he be a, a star or a good player? No, can he? Uh, not a is star. Is he eligible? Yeah, yeah. yeah I can think he play? He, he can good, make the roster. Can he make? A, can he be a good linebacker? He can make the roster. He may be a contributor, but is he ever going to be a, a a very good to great player? No, I don't think. You've seen what he can do. This is another thing I got a question though. This even makes me more angry at the last coach that why would you want him playing that high? 270 pounds. What, 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 in what world are we playing 270-pound linebackers if you – linebackers now, not linemen, linebackers in this league. I, I don't get why they let him get that big. Well, I think he can certainly be serviceable in the sense that he can be a, a, a contributing member on special teams. I don't know that he ever should really crack the two deep, but he's a guy that at least knows the position a little bit, so he can come in in reserve spots. That, that to me, that change is is a, at least where they expect to go with a lot of these players and the scheme that they try to play. I agree with you, Ken. I don't know who's running 270-pound linebackers that, that, that are – you limited know, coming out of Hawaii. Right, like, I, just don't, I don't think that exists. Yeah, it's amazing. But I'm going to tell you what, the key to the linebackers to me is Jamie Collins for next year. For whoever else you added or whatever you're doing, and I'm not counting Trey Flowers and um, Awaria as uh, linebackers. I'm, they're rush-ins. Aquara. is rush-ins. But Jamie Collins is going to be the key. If he can get back to some form on his good years in New England and play, because he's athletic as all get out, but it, it just wasn't there last year. Well, and then look, all of this being said, this is like the first week of OTAs. I mean, this is, we have really no uh, real insight into what this team is going to be. I don't think they're going to be very good. I think, I'm telling you, I think they're going to be better than you guys think. And that might be great. I think they'll be better. That could be. But they're not going to be contending for a division title here this year. If Aaron Rodgers leaves, everything's on the table. Ah, Fair enough. All right, more to come on Sports Wrap next. Now back to more Sports Wrap. Presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Here's Chris Renwick. All right, Indy 500 tomorrow down at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And look, it's not a surprise. Much of racing in its history has been dominated by men. And not only dominated, but, but most of the participants have been males. Uh, that is not the case come Sunday. Uh, there is a, a team that has now been formed uh, courtesy of the Peretta Autosport team that is comprised of mostly women. 
you're talking about the driver, the head mechanic, the engineer, and certainly the owner of Peretta Autosport team uh, is a woman, and she joins us this evening on Sports Wrap. Beth Peretta, how are you? I am well. How are you? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And look, I, I got a lot of stuff to cover, so I want to get right into it. Th- this industry, this sport, uh, particularly motorsports, has been dominated by men for, for most of its history. Um, and, and you're coming in here, and, and you tried this back in 2016. This is where I kind of want to start. You tried to get a, a team very similar to what you've compiled uh, for tomorrow uh, back in 2016, but the wheels just never quite turned enough, and, and it just never got off the ground. Take me back to 2016 and, and what you were trying to do back then. Uh, absolutely. So, yeah, I announced in 2015 the intention to run in 2016 with a predominantly you know, women-led team, you know, women in, in these key roles for the exact same reason of why we're doing it now, the visibility, the idea that it can appeal to women as fans, young, young girls. And then I've always tied it to STEM education and career paths. So why do you study this in school? This is where it can lead. Because the cool thing about racing is there are transferable skills. You can go work for a race team, and then you can go work for General Motors or Ford. And these are things that you know, can set you up for, you know, for an actual career and, and, and make a living for yourself. Um, and in fairness, behind the scenes, the, the effort was got further along than people even realized. I was about three weeks away from running in the Indy 500 when I decided to pull the plug in 2016. Mm-hmm. We had had actually a, a, a good partnership, a, 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 a decent partnership, and not a good, part, a, a, you know, a, a suitable partnership that the that changed in, in April right before the 500 in 2016. So the terms of the deal changed. I wasn't willing to take the new terms of the deal. So I walked away from the situation, which I think the, the person on the other side of the table probably underestimated that I would walk away, but I did. Um, and looking back, it was the right decision. And so then I, I found a different car that we could run with in 2016 in the 500. Um, but as we started to pull the car apart and, and get replacement parts for it, it was just a race against the clock and it wasn't going to be good enough, uh, in my opinion, because, you know, you have added scrutiny when you're doing an effort like this. I mean, yes, we're all racers. We know what we're doing. I'm never going to put a driver in an unsafe situation, of course, but you also don't want to put them in a knowingly uncompetitive situation either, because you kind of get to that point, why bother? So could we have run in 16? Yes. And could I have, you know, punched the ticket and could everybody have, you know, ticked the box? But if you go in knowing that, you know, it's probably going to be, be a mediocre show, I thought it was better to not run than to, to run and, and just kind of, you know, run, run in circles. So that's why I pulled the plug. Yeah. And look, you're no uh, slouch here. Uh, you, you've been in the, in the motorsports game for a long time, long time auto industry and, and motorsports executive. You were back in 2011 with Fiat Chrysler to direct performance and motorsports operations. And, and you've been uh, an active partner uh, or at least uh, in the partnership in, in strong participation with Team Penske. Uh, and you helped propel that team to a number of wins on the NASCAR circuit. Um, so, so what was it uh, for you, that said, this is the path that I want to take. This is kind of the trail that I want to set. I think the experience was when I was at Fiat Chrysler because I was um, I worked directly for Ralph Gilles, who was fantastic in, in that he gave me the opportunity. I, I was at Aston Martin when we met, and we met in New York City at the New York Auto Show. And in fairness, um, 
those of us in the car business, if we're also car people, because as we know, not everybody that works in the, in the business is, is, a, is a real car person where you actually would, would be an enthusiast and be doing car stuff, even if you didn't work in automotive. But for those of us who are, we kind of, once we, we meet each other, we kind of stay in touch. And Ralph uh, recruited me to join Fiat Chrysler. And in that role uh, where I was running the business side of the racing operations, really the, the day-to-day operations, in addition to my other responsibilities, I saw that it was exciting and interesting and something certainly that women could, could do because if I was doing it, then other women could do it as well, but also knew that a lot of car companies use racing as a recruiting tool or a retention tool because there's nothing like it. You know, putting somebody through a rotation on a race team for a year or two, uh, it you know, it's it's you know, working under extreme time pressure, competitive pressure, needing to work in a in a small team and getting things done. It's really a pressure cooker, and it really um, can hone and sharpen your skills. So seeing that as a as a you know as a operation was really enlightening for me. I mean, I'd always been around amateur racing teams, but to see it at the pro level, I thought, okay, this is really. There's a, there's a lot here, but let's see if we can get more women involved. There are women in racing. There have been for many, many years. There have been women, women racing drivers since the very beginning. But to really put us all on one team allows us to put a different spotlight on it. So that's what's unique to have so many women on the same team. Uh, so to have women going over the wall and, and our engineers and on the commercial side as well. And so the idea was like, okay, I can if I can do this, Let's invite other women to, to inside it, inside this tent to see what it is. The other thing, too, is so many people focus on the racing driver. And, you know, it's other sports we don't do that. We don't focus on just the pitcher on the Tigers. We don't focus on just the quarterback for the Lions. And I think there's something to be said for let's, let's lift the veil and show that there's, you know, there's 25, 30 people on a race team. That's what makes it work. And that might also make it more relatable because you might not be sitting there in the stands necessarily wanting to do what Simona de Sylvester is doing, but you might, it, you know, some, some one of the other people on the team, what they're doing might pique your interest. And if that makes you a more engaged viewer or watch a few more races, then that's great too. And I, and I do want to talk about Roger Penske uh, here in just in just a moment because he played and has played, and it seems to me, continues to play a pivotal role in, in Peretta Autosport team and, and everything that you guys are doing, just in, in terms of an ambassador, in terms of a mentor. So we'll get to Roger in just a moment. But you talk about Danica Patrick. She's probably the most well-known female racer on the NASCAR circuit. But Janet Guthrie back in 77 was the first racer to to take the Brickyard um, as a driver. And and now you've got someone in uh, the, the Swiss driver, Simona Di Silvestro, who – um, is, is again, you talk about where the focus lies. Uh, she's going to be uh, driving that car uh, tomorrow. Um, but you talk about in the 105 years of this race, in the history of this uh, fantastic, uh, highly competitive, highly publicized race, this is the first time where you've got a majority woman team at the helm. And it's, it, it, to me, it's incredibly uh, inspiring and whether I don't know if you even really mean to to set the trail and be a trailblazer here, but that to me that's what you're doing. Yeah, sometimes when you're in the middle of it, you're so close to it. I mean, yes, that was the intention, and you're and you know I was hoping for for that kind of uh, effect to happen. But when you're living it, maybe maybe I'm too close to it to see the, you know, how history will look at it. But I will say the thing that's been humbling is. I was lucky enough to see the Janet Guthrie. There's a film about her life called Unqualified that we came out two years ago, but we had a screening of it last night and we brought, we brought our team there. 
And it's really fantastic. If you haven't seen it, you have to have to see the story about her attempts at Indy and, and more of the background of her life. Um, but it, I did get a message that Janet Guthrie was uh, rooting for us and cheering us on. And there's a woman who's named Anita Milliken, who was a mechanic, a very well-known, accomplished mechanic, known in the IndyCar paddock, not known publicly, who was a you know, mechanic in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got a, you know, a word that she was really excited about what we were doing. And hearing that, because, yeah, the, the race, the first Indy 500 was 110 years ago. It's run 105 times. Um, the fact that this is the first time that you're seeing this many women on one team, it's taken 110 years, uh, you know, is, is, is really, that's, that's probably the bigger story. Like, why did it take this long? Because women were capable and, and were, you know, and have been here. Women weren't allowed in the paddock at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, you know, mm-hmm. until the seventies. And so you had previous owners that had to sit in the grandstands. And, you know, I think you're seeing a lot of societal change, which is why I think when I, when I introduced this in 2015, had the idea in 14, um, when I was working with somebody who kind of had brought me this idea, like, what do you think about putting a bunch of women together on one team? And then I sort of fleshed it out to say, yeah, that's great, but let's do something with it. You know, look, let's amplify it and, and provide opportunity. But you know, I think that we might have been too early in 2015. I don't know that the appetite was there or the understanding was there. Because I'd say to some people, and I, you know, get those blank stares. I said it to other people and they got it instantly. And, and one of those people who got it then and obviously gets it now is Roger Penske. Beth, if I could ask you to hold tight for me. I got a couple more questions. How has Roger Penske played a role in all of this? What do you guys go through on race day? How do you get to that point where you prepare? Uh, If you could hold tight for me, I'd love to ask you a couple more of those questions on the other side of this break. We'll be back with Beth Peretta, owner of Peretta Autosport Team. They're racing tomorrow at the Indy 500. We'll we'll be back with Beth here in just a moment. Hang tight. Sports Rock continues next. Now back to more Sports Rap. Presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Here's Chris Renwick. We're joined by Beth Peretta, head of the Peretta Autosport team. And and you talked about uh, uh, the importance that Roger Penske has played uh, into this. You've obviously worked with Team Penske in the past, like I mentioned, on a number of NASCAR wins. Um, But but what I find most interesting is, is Roger's appetite for a team like this, Roger's willingness to to use his resources to help, and I and I only say this in an example of he provided uh, a number of uh, that would be on a pit crew, number of uh, either engineers, mechanics, uh, pit crew members, whatever. You guys started out where your 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 pit crew time was about eighteen seconds, which is about half a lap uh, on the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. You got it way down. You're down to the last number I saw was about five. And mm-hmm. it seems to me that a lot of the credit where, where you had given it was to Roger Penske for realizing that that this kind of team should exist in this sport and and the willingness that he had to to shift some of his resources over to your team to to mentor and help you guys out. Absolutely. You know, when when Penske and his group bought the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the IndyCar Series back in January, uh, you know, I reached out, of course, to congratulate him like many people did. And I think it was a realization of a long term uh, dream of his. Right. Because the Speedway is so special to him and, and his family. 
Um, but then in the middle of 2020, they announced this, this race for equality and change. And in fairness, you know, I've talked to Roger over the years about just different aspects of his business and the diversity that he has on his board and in other facets of his business. He's asked me at, at different times to, to work for his company in a different, in different capacity. Um, and, and at that time, like that, that timing just wasn't, it didn't work for what, where I was at, the, at that point. But when he announced this active initiative just for diversity and racing in general, I, we, I, it prompted me to reach out again to him to say, what is this? And, and you know, what, what are your hopes for it? And we sat down and talked and kind of, and I said, all right, well, because after I had made the run in 16 and then pulled the plug at the 11th hour, I took a little bit of time off. I had some personal stuff. I was looking after my, my father who was ill and just those things like, you know, when life gets in the way and when you're kind of having a startup business and it's, you're the sole proprietor, when you have to take time away, everything kind of stops. So that's what happened. And then when I wanted to re-engage with it, uh, I was looking at a few different racing series and how to put it together with talking to some companies on sponsorship and then COVID struck. So that kind of put everything on ice as it did for a lot of people. But then uh, when I saw this announcement for the race for equality and change in IndyCar, reached out Roger and, you know, he, he immediately said yes, frankly, because again, we've worked together before. He knows what I'm, what I'm capable of and he knows what the idea was all about. And he saw the value in it because he knows mm -hmm. that growing the audience matters to everybody you know if we can grow an audience in racing it's going to help every other team in the grid and and you know the, the other team owners know that so what we're doing is hopefully we're just having racing reflect the rest of the world you know we have boardrooms now that are hopefully showing diversity you know life is is a, a lovely mix of people so let's have that in, in everywhere we can uh, all right. So look, I, I'm lucky if I can, if I can figure out how to turn my windshield wipers on. All right. So, so for <laughs> yeah. me uh, to talk to me about what it takes to, to, to not only just assemble the team, but in actual, in, in actuality, get this thing going and, and race day preparations. Like I know you guys are already underway races tomorrow, but in terms of right. what you're, what you're looking at, what are the specs, all the fine tooth comb details, just talk to me about what you guys are looking at uh, on a, you know, either the night before the race day or leading up to race day or that, that morning. Uh, what do you guys look at uh, to have a successful race? Everything that you see, there are so many details. Just you know, so I announced this team on January nineteenth. So if you look at it, we're just over four months, you know, from when we announced it publicly. And there wasn't a lot of work that I could do prior to it being announced publicly because things are secret, right? So there's so really what you're seeing is the culmination of a lot of work in a short amount of time. Part of because of that short timeline is why when I was looking to hire people, they were either known to me or known to people who I trusted because we had to put a group together quickly. I couldn't just go through a list of you know, blind resumes and CVs and just try to figure out, you know, who's who. Uh, luckily, these are people that were um, referred. So some mm -hmm. had experience, some were just quite athletic and didn't have mechanical experience. Some had gone through the NASCAR Technical Institute. So that's how we put together the pit crew. I have a couple of people that are on loan from Team Penske. Having a technical alliance with Team Penske is amazing because they've won the Indy 500 18 times. So to just have them in our corner and be able to take a page out of their playbook and those details are, you know, invaluable. Sure. Um, but what we're doing right before the race is, so you, we had a tough time qualifying and that was because we, we were, we had a challenge with, with the car, with the balance of the car. If you notice uh, Will Power, who is in the 12 car, who's a Team Penske driver, who's won the 500 before, who's won the IndyCar championship is a very, you know, well 
uh, experienced driver in IndyCar, he was struggling with his car as well. And we had, we had a similar problem with our car. So us being, you know, low on the timing sheet had nothing to do with Simona. It had everything to do with, with a, a, you know, trying to get a solution that we just were, um, and again, in, in conversation with the Penske people. So this was, you know, it was no fault of her own that where, where the time was, um, but what you do now in this this last week uh, is we had carb day yesterday. We're getting ready for the race tomorrow. It's just, um, you know, race setup we're, we're comfortable with, we're confident with. And, um, you know, there's a lot of chaos that can happen in this race, especially in the first lap. So in fairness, sometimes mm-hmm. starting in the 11th row isn't bad because, some, you know, you might miss some, some chaos, hopefully. Sure. The goal for tomorrow is just to have a good, clean race. I mean, I'd love if we could have a top 10 finish. Simona is definitely capable of that. The car is capable of that. Anything can happen in 500 miles. Um, and then hopefully you're going to see some of our women, you know, going over the wall and now doing pit stops as fast as any other team on the grid. No, it's, 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 it's amazing. The, all the, the dominoes that need to fall and, and mm-hmm. the dominoes that you set up in a certain way to make all of them fall in the proper direction. It's amazing. Talk to me about your partnership because you, you, you talked about the partnership that, that failed in 15, 16, and, and that you say after the terms change, you pulled out, which I think is fantastic. Uh, but yeah. now you partner with somebody like rocket mortgage, that company who we're obviously very close with here in Detroit with the, with the rocket mortgage classic, but talk to me about yeah. the partnership uh, very briefly about uh, with rocket mortgage. So I will say selfishly, being Detroit-based, so having a and and in in I, I want our team is Detroit-based. So although right now they've been working down in Mooresville, North Carolina, because of the alliance with Team Penske, because I'm based in Detroit and wanting the connection from the race team to careers and actual transferable skills, it's important to me that everybody understands that Detroit is is home for this team. So being able to partner with with Rocket, the Rocket Group, Rock um, Ventures, and Rocket Pro TPO really is a dream come true. So Rocket Pro TPO are the mortgage brokers that they they work with across the country. And we want to, they have put together this program called Rocket Accelerator, which is a great thing to have on the side of a race car, Rocket, um, to support diversity and support women in the mortgage business. So Mm -hmm. what a great way that, it happened to be perfect timing that they were already working on something at my, you know, little early stage. And then the timing just intersected where, hey, we have this, this platform about women working together and trying to, you know, at at the highest level, trying to get across, you know, the finish line to success. So it really dovetailed beautifully. And I cannot thank uh, Dan Gilbert, Jay Farner, Casey Herbis, everybody at at Rocket for uh, standing behind us and and seeing seeing the value in it's not just a it's not just a sticker on the side of a car and and they get that and you know just like they they see this as an investment in the future of of, of women and and that is really been humbling. In terms of the hierarchy of races, it ain't nothing higher than the Indy 500. <laughs> and whether you, whether you, you know, you talked about being a little close to it, but I hope you know that this is a, an incredible team that you've assembled, and uh, you're 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 doing something that hasn't been done. And I'm I'm so looking forward to watching the race and, and watching Simona and and watching you guys perform at the highest level. I think what you're doing is fantastic, and I, I wish you all the best of luck. Uh, and uh, we'll see how it all shakes out uh, tomorrow. Thanks so much. We're hoping for a great day. No doubt. There she is, Beth Peretta, owner of Peretta Autosport Team. They're running in the Indy 500 as a mostly all-woman team. 
It's going to be fantastic. I know I'm going to be glued to the TV set, as I'm sure you will be too. All right, more to come here on Sports Wrap. Coming up next, Chris Renwick, Nick Roddy here on WJR. more sports wrap presented by FanDuel download the FanDuel sports app today FanDuel more ways to win here's Chris Renwick putting on a a PGA tournament uh, event it ain't no cakewalk and I know they need every second to put it together but I'm just I can't wait I mean if it were today I would go I mean I'm just so excited for a whole lot of reasons Uh, but you got the Rocket Mortgage Classic coming back to DGC July 1st through the 4th. Uh, and we got a, a lot to talk about, and there's nobody better to do it with than my guy Jason Langwell, Executive Director at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. Jason, how's it going? Hey, Chris. I'm doing great. How you doing? Just 34 days away, man. Here we go. I know you guys need every second to, to get ready for this tournament. Talk to me about where you're at in the preparation leading up to July 1st. Well, things are going really well. Uh, the team out here, uh, Detroit Golf Club, has done a great job working with our team. Uh, Paul Aips, uh, our tournament director, Rob Kroll, and team are doing an amazing job getting the golf course ready. Uh, we've got our structures that are going up now. It's fun to see the builds come together. We need uh, we need about 65 days or so to build this little small city that we that we have up for Rocket Mortgage Classic Week. Um, we've had some great weather, as we all know here, so the golf course is firm and fast just like they like it. And um, it's really coming together well. The corporate community supported us. So you're going to see a very similar build out and a similar look and feel with all that big rocket mortgage red um, here in just 34 days for our third event. Well, you guys got a lot of no-name golfers. I don't know how you're going to attract people to this uh, <laughs> tournament. Um, and we'll get to that in just a second. But uh, a lot of big developments in, on the COVID front, obviously the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, the, the CDC all making big moves in the last couple of weeks, uh, which all kind of led and culminated to you guys being able to put tickets out on sale to the general public. They are available now. Uh, what do we need to know about how we can get our hands on some of these tickets? Yeah, no, our, our fans are going to be in for a treat. We'll talk about the field a little bit, but we, uh, we did just go on sale on Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Uh, exploded out of the gates, frankly, uh, with ticket sales. They started just $20 for our Wednesday Delta Dental Pro-Am. Uh, we've got a great array of ticket offerings available. If you visit rocketmortgageclassic.com, we're encouraging all fans to act really fast and order their tickets today. We anticipate a sellout. Um, you know, it's just it's great to have fans back, though, but we are encouraged fans to go. We will have, uh, we'll be limiting uh, four tickets per account holder. That's so we can get all the families that we want to be able to enjoy this experience sure. at Detroit Golf Club for the Rocket Mortgage Classic, the opportunity to do so. We sold out uh, of tickets in 2019, and I would tell you that we were we sold significantly more tickets in our first day on Thursday than we did in even 2019. So we're poised for yet another um, great event, great experience, and a safe, uh, healthy one at, uh, at Detroit Golf Club. Well, you talk about the health, you talk about the safety of, of the fans that are going to be in attendance and certainly for a lot of the staff and players as well and their families. But what do we need to know about 
uh, you know, on all the COVID front, what, what do people need mm-hmm. to be expecting uh, from that from that perspective? Yeah, well, you know, we're, you know, safety and health of the entire uh, all of our fans and the community is our top priority. You know, based on the most recent orders, which we operate by, you know, we we're operating a capacity for our event of 20 people per thousand square feet. And look, we've got a large footprint here at Detroit Golf Club uh, outdoors. Uh, we expect to be able to operate within those orders with very limited restrictions to ensure that it's a safe and healthy and positive experience for all our fans. Uh, we know the policies can change. We'll stay close to that. Working closely with our state and local officials have been fantastic and working with us in partnership. We have made some changes to ensure we have a better grasp on how many people attend each day um, and elevated our, our health and safety measures. Uh, so we won't be offering any good, any one day or weekly tickets. We're not offering mm-hmm. any of those, uh, but we uh, we're also not going to be offering any walk-up sales. So all tickets have to be purchased in advance. And we're going to be, you know, as I mentioned, limiting those purchases to four per account holder. We're also going to utilize our dynamic pricing model for tickets to help control the limited supply and increased demand. So as we get to 70, 80, 90% thresholds, the ticket prices will be going up $5 each day. And and we're also doing some things as well uh, to create and promote a safer experience. And so we'll be doing things like more of a cashless experience um, on-site, digital only tickets, day-specific tickets as well. So those are just a few of things. If you go to our website, you'll see a know before you go that talks about all the COVID safety precautions that, that we've put in place. And we've been fortunate the PGA Tour has got so many events that they've run safely um, since we, we came out just a year ago uh, to run an event without fans. And we've learned from those best practices and I'll have them ready and on stage for all of our fans here. All right, let's start here. Uh, I don't want to take away a lot of your thunder. I don't like when people do that. So I'm going to let you talk about some of these names. But let me give you a list of some of the folks that are going to be there. Max Home is going to be there. He's 23rd in the FedEx Cup standing. Sun JM is going to be there, uh, ranked 23rd in the world, as he sits at number 26 in the FedEx Cup standings. Kevin Kisner's got p- three PGA Tour wins. Patrick Reed, Masters winner. Uh, <laughs> he's a, a fantastic player on the Ryder Cups. Webb Simpson's going to be there. And that's, I, I want to name some of the bigger folks for you. So who else is going to be there? Yeah, there's this guy named Phil Mickelson. Um, he's won 45 Ooh. times on the PGA Tour. Yeah, yeah, he's got uh, six major championships, three Masters. Um, yeah, you know, he's only one of 12 players in the history of the game to win three or, or four ma- or, or more of the four majors. So, um, yeah, you know, so we're excited to have that guy Phil coming. Um, he, uh, you know, it just everything he's done of late is play, and um, you know, he's excited also the week after us to be playing in the match. Just he's someone that uh, we're, yeah. we're so excited to have here. You know, it's getting Ricky Fowler. Um, oh, yeah. You know, he's he had a great week at the PGA Championship. Oh, by the way, yeah, Ricky Fowler is going to be with us. Bubba Watson. Masters champion who loves playing this classic Donald Ross design and um, loves everything that Dan Gilbert has done. He's been out, very outspoken about how much he loves and appreciates, as we all do, uh, you know, Dan's vision and what um, he's done for this city. So, uh, yeah, just a couple more there beyond what you, you meant. I don't know if you mentioned Sun JM, who is playing really well right now. Uh, he's 23rd in the world and um, has played well here. So, you know, those are just a few of the names. Camp Champ is uh, a long hitter. He played yep. really well, finished uh, almost top 10, I think, in 2020. And uh, I think at 28 or 29 in the front nine in the first year that he played out here. So he kind of likes the track. So just got, a real you got, great, you know, it's the best year we ever had, Chris. You got 2015 yeah. PGA Champ uh, Jason Day out, uh, Harold Varner, and those sweet Air Jordan cleats are going to be out there too. It's awesome. You, you have a, a tremendous field. And, and, 
only to be topped by that is the, the, the things that you guys do in terms of charity, in terms of helping out this community. You got the Changing the Course initiative, and, and I'd mm-hmm. love to hear more about that. But you guys are doing way more than just providing a, a, an excellent experience for golf fans here in the Motor City and in Metro Detroit. You're, doing, you're, you're changing a lot of different things. Talk to me about Changing the Course real quick. Yeah, no, real quick, uh, you know, Dan Gilbert's vision in coming to town uh, when bringing this event here was to be more than just a golf tournament and impact the outcome in Detroit. And in light of all the profound impact of COVID-19 on Detroit, uh, there's a clear need for greater and more equitable digital access. Um, So all of our proceeds are going to be supporting our our Changing the Course initiative. It's a multi-year campaign that's going to ensure every Detroit resident has access to the internet, technology, and digital literacy training. And so you know, it's one of the many things um, that was, a, you know, an unaddressed underlying issue that was exposed by COVID was internet accessibility. And our Changing the Course initiative is aimed to uh, to address that and take what is currently the most least connected city and turn it into the most connected city. And so it's something that we're very proud of, and it's the reason we're doing this event and why we get up out of bed every day. Good stuff. I know you guys got a lot of stuff to do still. Um, but we are very much looking forward to uh, the Rocket Mortgage Classic back out at DGC Detroit Golf Club, July 1st through the 4th. And if you want to pick up some tickets, if you want to uh, make sure you're at the event, where do they go? One more time, Jason. They go to rocketmortgageclassic.com. Get there quickly before they go. There's also a limited amount of volunteer opportunities available as well. If you want to stand inside or alongside those ropes and support former mayor Dennis Archer and uh, Noel Johnston and our volunteer force. Good stuff. Jason Langwell, always appreciate the time. Look forward to seeing you out at DGC. Thanks for the time. Thanks, Chris. Yep. There he is. Jason Langwell, executive director of the rocket mortgage classic. That is going to do it for us on sports wrap tonight. Have yourself a, a wonderful night and we'll catch you back here again on WJR very soon here on sports wrap.